One of the biggest criticisms that has been leveled against Christianity in the last, say, 100 years has been against the idea of a God who shows wrath or a God who shows judgment. Usually the criticism goes that God should be a God of mercy rather than a God of wrath. That Jesus revealed um, the merciful side of God and the God of judgment has become something of the past, something that we can leave behind. Richard Dawkins is a prominent British atheist. He embodies aspects of this argument as much as he can as an atheist. He wrote uh, in one of his books that the God of the Old Testament is possibly the most unpleasant character in all of literature. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, we've all come in contact with or at least heard of Christian groups who seem to be obsessed with God's judgment, as if this is the only thing that they know about God. So I encountered this over and over again in college at LSU's campus. There was the free speech alley and there was this group that would gather and just yell at people all day long and their signs would have certain parts of scripture for the wages of sin is death. That, that would be on one of their signs, but not the rest of the scripture, but the gift of God is eternal life. It was as if they only wanted to emphasize this one side, this wrath, this judgment. It, it reminds me of another preacher character in a, a movie that Stephen and Leah recommended to me a couple of years ago. He would say about the people he was preaching to, they're all going to hell and someone has to tell them. And he would say it as if he were very excited to be the one to get to tell them that they're all going to hell. Our world is one of the extremes in all sorts of ways. And in this case, we have on one side an extreme rejection of judgment, especially God's judgment. But we need also recognize that this rejection has a consequence. You see, you can't reject one thing without embracing another. This is just part of life. You reject one thing, you embrace another. And in this case, the rejection of judgment has resulted in an extreme embrace of tolerance. With no room for judgment, our culture has exalted tolerance as the highest value. We are expected to endorse each other's decisions and behaviors regardless of what they are or regardless of what might happen because of those decisions. Now on that other side is an extreme obsession with judgment. And I, I don't think this is a good thing, but I actually think that we're seeing less and less Christian groups in America who represent this obsession with judgment. And some might say this is a good thing, but I believe that it actually hints at something negative. Here's what I think it hints at. I think it hints at the fact that it's becoming harder and harder for many in our culture, many of us here, to embrace this essential aspect of God. His judgment. That there is a side of God that involves judgment. And this isn't the shadow side of God. This isn't his bad side. Let's just, you know, look at his right side, not his left side. It's not that. This is an essential part of God. Our culture has lost the ability. Many Christians are fearful of talking about this in a clear and thoughtful way. 
But to take the Bible seriously, we have to talk about judgment. And we should be able to engage in it in thoughtful and measured ways. Now, even though we might wish to tiptoe around it, the passage that we just listened to in Revelation gives an unequivocal affirmation of God, especially in his act of judgment. So in chapter 16, verses 5 and 7, an angel says, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now, I'm going to start at the place that we're also going to end. I think the challenge for Christians today is that we learn to speak with the angel when we think of God's judgment. (laughs) Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Can you say this when you think of God's judgments against evil and sin? All evil and sin, even your own. Can you agree with the angel? Can you have the same voice with him of saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments? I think that's the question for us. Can we say this even in view of our own failures, our own pet sins, that God is just in judging? Now, whether your answer is yes or no, I hope that you'll listen to the rest of the sermon. I want to ask three questions to lead us through this passage. So one, why does God judge? Why does God judge? The second, how does God judge? And the third, what are we to do? So first, why does God judge? And here's the short answer. With every question, I'm going to give a short answer and then explain a little more. He he judges because he is love. This is the short answer. Because he is love. God judges as love because love has these two sides, mercy and justice. There's a movement in our culture right now toward social justice. It's the effort to ensure that people have what they need in a very positive sense, that they have the food they need, the medical care they need, the access to work and a meaningful life. This is a really wonderful thing. It's all over the Bible. Now, sure, it can get twisted, but as far as it goes, it can be a wonderful thing. It's one of God's great longings for his world that people would live in justice and with justice toward each other. It's part of his promises through the resurrection of Jesus that this will actually come to be within the world. This is a positive side to justice. But for this positive side of justice to happen, there's also a negative side. And that negative side is just punishment. This is the type of judgment that's taking place in our passage. Now, how did we get to this point in the book of Revelation? So some of the critiques of God's judgment from the world, and and even from Christians who are reticent to embrace this, is that it, it, it makes it sound as if God is simply this angry ogre who is looking for a place to vent his anger. But this is an awful caricature that we can buy into. God's judgment is always rooted in a people and in a place. It's always rooted in a people 
and in a place. So here in Revelation, several chapters back, in chapter 6, verse 10, we heard about a group of martyrs who have died for their witness to Jesus. And these martyrs in their death are crying out to God, saying, How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? God responds to the martyrs by telling them to wait. And he actually also tells them that there will be more martyrs before his justice comes. As I've mentioned before, as we've been walking through Revelation, this is what it was like for the early Christians after Jesus's ascension and after he sent the spirit. They preached the good news of Jesus Christ of his death and resurrection, his conquering of sin, evil, and death, but they were quickly confronted by powerful people telling them to stop. They would reply when they were told to stop, we have to obey God rather than you. And when they didn't stop, they began to be killed. The book of Revelation is a forewarning to Christians that more persecution is coming, that it's going to get worse before it gets better. But they can rest in the promise of God's justice and his vindication. So here in chapter 16, in these bowls that are being poured out, we're seeing a prophecy of God's final justice for his people. Actually, the next few chapters, Revelation chapters 16 through 19, are all describing in a symbolic way God's judgment on the world for rejecting Christ and rejecting his people. Still, how can we say that God's judgment is an act of love? The reason we can say this because, is because in one sense, God's judgment began at the cross. God's judgment began at the cross. In the cross, God's arms are outstretched toward the world in a posture of welcome, of mercy. Will you come to me? But when we harden ourselves against God and against his people, we make ourselves an enemy of God. And God must protect his children. So one way this has been said is that God actually rules with two arms. One is mercy and the other is justice. And he's always willing to show mercy. But when we dismiss the Bible's teaching about judgment, here's what happens. All victims of injustice, of violence and oppression, are then put at risk. If God is a God of love without the accountability of justice, then vulnerable people always are becoming more vulnerable, and bullies are encouraged to, in, to keep bullying. The world sometimes needs a God who gets angry. We need a God who will protect his children, who will once and for all remove bullies and perpetrators of evil from his playground of the world. And this is what God does for these martyrs. Why does God judge? Because he is love. His love wills the good for his children, and that means he has to go to bat for his children. He will defend them. He judges because he is love. And love has two sides. Mercy and justice. 
Now, how does God judge? Again, a first, a short answer. We reap what we sow. How does God judge? We reap what we sow. So God's judgments here in chapter 16 are described symbolically as bowls. They're also numbered symbolically. There are seven bowls. Seven meaning this is the fullness of God's judgment. What's in the bowls? Well, listen again to the angel in verses 5 and 6. Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve, the angel says. These bowls have blood in them. The blood of the saints has risen up to God, and God is pouring it back out as judgment. Now again, this is a symbol, but it points to something very real in the way God works, in the way that God has made the world. We reap what we sow. So the Romans and the Jews in the first century shed the blood of Christians. The judgment for this would be blood. It's a live by the sword, die by the sword story. Now, let, let me tease this out. One of the things we often hear in Scripture about God's judgment is that he is patient. So in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this, he is patient towards you because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Why is God, is pa why is God patient? So that we might all repent. God holds off judgment in the possibility that people would repent. We want judgment quickly, don't we? You know, if they cut me off, God, smite them, strike them down now. This is the you know, language of someone does something and is afraid, you know, God's going to strike them with lightning. God doesn't often work this way. Sometimes he does. But it's not the normal way that God works. God is more willing to wait. But when we don't repent, here's what happens. Our rebellion stacks up like a fragile Jenga tower. Have you ever played this game in your family? You know, you take out the pieces and you see, you know, how many you can get taken out before everything just comes crashing down. This is what sin does and rebellion does. It's like taking out pieces from the Jenga tower. You see, we are not made to live in rebellion toward God. The world is not made to live in rebellion toward God. So we begin in our sin to lose a structural integrity. And eventually what happens is we collapse. And the world that we have built around ourselves also collapses. This is one of the ways God judges. He lets our sin and our rebellion build itself up, stack itself up on top of each other until eventually our life becomes so fragile that it all caves in. God's patience is both a beautiful and a dangerous thing. It's beautiful because God lovingly seeks our full repentance. This is why he's patient and willing to let our sin play out at times, because he wants to get our full attention. It's like the parent who is sometimes willing to let the child do something that they know is going to be painful because they know that the child will learn from it. <clears throat> does come a time as a child gets older that the parent can't stop the child. 
Even if the behavior that they're about to walk in is very, very dangerous to them, the parent can't always stop them. And this is why God's patience is dangerous. Because he's also willing to let us experience the full consequences of our rebellion. As C.S. Lewis said, there are only two kinds of people in the world in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. In my life, in the world, thy will be done, Lord. And then there are those to whom God says in the end, after they've stubbornly resisted him time after time, thy will be done. Thy will be done. How does God judge? We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. So at the end of Revelation chapter 16, we hear from the angel that the judgment is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, we're told. A city is split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fall. What does this mean? All these things symbolically describe what was going to happen to Israel and to Rome. Israel's precious temple would be leveled because they rejected Jesus and they rejected the people who followed him. Those who would not surrender in Israel would be killed. Rome itself would split into political factions and it would die a slow death because it killed God's people. And we're going to talk in detail in the coming weeks about the way God deals with nations, because that's a major part of Revelation. If you want to learn, how does a nation walk before God? What's the responsibility of a nation in God's kingdom? The Revelation is a place that you should go. And I know you guys love to hear me talk about politics, so that's another reason I'm going to do that. But for now, we simply need to notice this. In response to the question, how does God judge? God's judgment is never arbitrary. It's never just anger seeking release. God's judgment is directly related to our actions. Directly related to our actions. God lets us reap what we sow. This is not to say, and hear me, that every bad thing that happens in our lives is because of God's judgment. But some of it very well could be. Even if it's the case that bad things that are happening in our lives is related to God's judgment. Even if that is the case, the beautiful part, again, of God's patience is that God is always willing to show mercy. It could very well be that you're experiencing God's judgment in your life in some way because of your stubbornness and rebellion against God. That could be the case. But God's judgment, his discipline is done in love. It's always intended to lead you toward repentance. And so the last thing that we should do is harden ourselves in a time of that discipline. Why does God judge? He judges because he is love. How does he judge? We reap what we sow. And God allows that to happen. Lastly, what are we to do? A short answer, once again, stay awake. Stay awake. 
So in the midst of this scene of judgment, there's actually an interruption. It's like when the character on the TV screen, if you've watched TV in the last 10 years or so, breaks the fourth wall. So they turn to the screen, they look at the audience, and they begin speaking directly to you. This is what Christ does in this chapter. There's a whole scene of judgment going on, and then all of a sudden, Christ looks at us, and he speaks directly to us, and he says this, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Now, a key to reading the Bible is reading it with the rest of the Bible in view. Where else in the Bible do we see people naked and exposed? Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve. God comes to greet them, but they're ashamed. When they thought God wasn't looking, they thought God wouldn't know. They rejected him, and suddenly they realized they were naked and they were exposed. The point that Jesus is making here is that we should stop acting in ways that we know we're not supposed to act. If you do continue rebelling against God, you're going to be quite ashamed when God returns. You're going to try to hide, but you will not be able to. He will find you out. You will be ashamed because you knew better all along. So what are we to do? Well, we need to pay attention to our lives. We need to stop treating God's grace as if it is cheap, as if our actions don't matter and will have no consequence. You know, one of the challenges of Revelation is that God's judgment in Revelation is based on people's works on the way that they live their lives. Now, this is, this is terrifying for us, and for good reason. The reason that the Protestant Reformation happened and that we are a church, and Anglican and not Catholic, is because there were abuses of this. Because people made, the, the church made people fearful for their lives and made them feel like they always had to do more and more and more and they had to pay the church and make the church help them, you know, get into heaven and all of these sorts of things. It was an abuse and it's terrible. But here's the one of the things that's come out of this is that often the Protestant church is afraid to talk about works as if they actually matter. And they do. Yes, God's grace is wonderful, and we are to rest in it. But that does not mean that your life, the character of your life, has no bearing in the way that you relate to God and the way that he relates to you. It does. God will discipline you. He will judge you. So could it be that you're not experiencing God's blessing in your life? That you're experiencing his judgment and his discipline because you've stopped striving after the new life that God has called you to. Could that be? Why does God judge? He judges because he is love, and his love is his desire for the good of his children. 
And if God desires the good of his children, he must become an enemy and judge of all things that oppose the good of his children. How does God judge? He's patient. But in his patience, he lets us reap what we sow. So what are we to do? We're to stay awake to Christ. We're to stay awake to Christ and his activity in our lives and in our world. And we're to learn to say with the angel, yes, Lord God, the almighty, true and just are your judgments. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.